The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Executive orders from the governor to affect social distancing and mitigate the spread of the COVID-19 virus. We intend to conduct this meeting similarly to an in-person meeting. However, please be patient if there are technical issues. Public comment will be via telephone only. To speak during any of the public comment opportunities, please call um, toll-free 877-853-5247 or 888-788-0099 and enter meeting ID 925-8215-8705. Again, you can call um, either of these toll-free numbers and enter meeting ID 925-8215-8705. This information is also available on the published agenda in the public notices section of the city website and on the broadcast of this meeting on CTN channel 16, AT&T channels 99, and online at www.a2gov.org slash watchctn. Okay, so um, Sean, would you read the land heritage statement? Sure, thank you. I acknowledge that the land the city of Ann Arbor occupies is the ancestral, traditional, and contemporary lands of the Anishinaabe, including Odawa, Ojibwe, and Badewanmi, and Wyandotte peoples. I further acknowledge that our city stands, like almost all property in the United States, on lands obtained generally in unconscionable ways from indigenous peoples. The taking of this land was formalized by the Treaty of Detroit in 1807. Knowing where we live, work, study, and recreate does not change the past, but a thorough understanding of the ongoing consequences of this past can empower us in our work to create a future that supports human flourishing and justice for all individuals. Thank you, Jean. Jean, would you uh, do the roll call? Sure. All right, we'll start off with Commissioner Needham. Commissioner Needham. All right, Council Member Dish, I believe, is phoning in. Let me allow them to talk briefly.
Council Member Dish. All right, well, they may be unable to unmute right now, but mm -hmm. they are present. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, moving on to Commissioner Graham. I'm here. Thank you. Uh, Council Member Griswold. Here in Ann Arbor. Uh, Commissioner Callawart. Here. Uh, Chairperson Brown. Here in Ann Arbor. Commissioner Mursky. Here in my home from Ann Arbor. Vice Chairperson Mitchell. Here in Ann Arbor. Commissioner Oriel. Commissioner Oriel. All right. Uh, Commissioner Gibrandel. Commissioner Gabrandel. Not hearing you, Shannon. Uh, we do see you, but we can't hear you. <laughs> um, Commissioner Marson. I'm here in Ann Arbor. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Gruber. Not hearing me either. Oh, there you are. <laughs> okay, here in Ann Arbor. Great, thank you. Uh, and Commissioner Nedrich. Here in Ann Arbor. Great, thank you. Uh, and that is a quorum. All right, thank you, Sean. So the next item on the agenda is the approval of this agenda um, as drafted. Um, um, let's see, um, um, does anyone wish to change any, any part of the uh, agenda? Are there any additions or edits that are suggested? I move to approve the agenda as posted. Okay, do we have a second? Hello? Yes, okay. we have a second. Uh, let's take it from um, Commissioner Gruber. Okay. Yeah, I'm on my phone, so I can't see everybody on the on the call. All right. Um, um, all those who approve the agenda as as written, um, say aye or raise your hands. Aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? Okay. The agenda is approved unanimously. Uh, the next item on the agenda is the approval of minutes. Um, these are the minutes of our uh, last meeting on September 22nd. Um, so the, let's see, the, uh, so do I have a motion for um, accepting the minutes? I move to accept the minutes. Um, do we have a second? Mm -hmm. Second. Uh, Commissioner, uh, whoops, Commissioner Morrison. Yeah. Yes, seconded. Okay, so the floor is open for discussion. Are there any, uh, anyone want to discuss anything? Okay, so um, so all those who approve the minutes as written, raise your hand or say aye. 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 Um, all, all opposed, say no. Any abstentions? Okay, I hear C none, so the minutes of our September 22nd meeting are approved as drafted. Um, so the next... Um, Item on the agenda is public commentary. So, um, 
This is an opportunity for persons to speak for up to three minutes. Please call 1-888-788-0099 and um, enter meeting ID 925-8215-8705. Again, that's 888-788-0099 and enter meeting ID number 925-8215-8705. This information is also displayed on the meeting agenda and the video feed. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand one by one using the last three digits of your phone number. In order to electronically raise your hand to indicate your desire to speak, please press star nine on your phone. You will hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. When speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any television or background sounds so that we may hear you clearly. Please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments and be patient. There can be a delay of up to 30 seconds before a connection is established. Is there anybody on the line yet, Sean? I do not see anybody on the line right now. Okay, so we'll, we'll wait another 30 seconds just to see if somebody uh, calls in and raises their hand. Okay, is there anybody on the line? There is not. Okay, thank you. Um, so this ends the public commentary period. There will be another opportunity to submit public comment near the end of this meeting. So there is no unfinished business on the agenda today. So let's move on to new business. And when we do, because I'm, uh, I have to attend this meeting on my cell phone, um, I'm going to pass the chair responsibilities on to uh, Rita Mitchell, the vice chair, if there are no objections. Are there any objections? Okay, Rita, you have the floor. All right, thank you. Um, according to our agenda, we do not have any new business um, and uh, or unfinished business, I'm sorry. Uh, so we can move on to the new business. And our first um, topic tonight is an overview of our Ann Arbor water. And we have a, a guest joining us tonight, staff, um, uh, Brian Steglitz. And um, he, we've asked him to be with us tonight to talk about the, the new unified Ann Arbor water department. So with that, um, Brian, if you would just take over and give us some some overview that would be great okay great um can you hear me okay yes all right well thank you uh first for asking us to come uh, speak about this tonight we're trying to take this opportunity we'd like to take this opportunity to continue the messaging around our new brand so um i'm really actually pleased that you asked um for us to come because we probably would have reached out to you anyway so um, but what we've been working on over the past, um, it's probably the better part of the year, is looking about, looking about how we can rebrand the utilities. Right now, we, we operate, I think, as you all know, three different utilities that have typically operated in silos, being the drinking water system, um, wastewater resource recovery, and stormwater management. And what this branding has allowed us to do is to talk about this um, around a singular water water as a singular resource. 
Um, you know, we use it for all of these purposes. Um, th there's been a trend in the water space to begin to talk about water as a single, singular entity, um, one water. And we we're, we're taking this opportunity to really get up to speed. Um, the industry has been there already for several years. So I wouldn't say we're behind, but the time was ripe for us to start looking about how do we start talking about this as a singular resource. Um, so, you know, what you'll hear in a lot of upcoming communications as we start to continue to talk about this is the connection of the utilities, again, managing the singular resource, um, really talking about the value of water in the community. Um, it provides all, you know, the three things that I just mentioned associated with our utilities, but people um, use it for recreation, we use it for power production. So it's a really, it's a central part of the Ann Arbor community. We all probably touch water in some way every day. Um, so again, the brand Ann Arbor Water um, is, is to really just illustrate the importance of that um, for the city and the, and the community. Uh, there were some questions that were sort of posed, you know, about strategic goals, um, performance-based indicators. You know, right now we're really just focused on communicating so people are aware, they understand that, you know, their services won't necessarily be uh, changed as they as they receive them, as they interact with the city. But our messaging and again, and, is, and public engagement is all gonna be more focused on this singular resource. We've had multiple periodicals that we use um, We've used the, our Quality Water Matters brand um, for drinking water, and that's been in place for several years. So all of the things that are going on um, are going to be blended underneath this new umbrella. Um, so actually beginning, um, I think, um, November 1st, so next week, we'll have our first Ann Arbor Water um, newsletter that goes out that will replace the, the several that we've been historically doing, and it will be blending communication about all the utilities underneath that. So that'll be a subscriber base. We can send you the, the link to that so you can um, get access to it. And then if you're interested, um, you know, through our Gov Delivery, you can subscribe to get our monthly newsletter. So we're really excited about it. Um, I've already seen the draft and it's really, it's, it's really great. So um, I think we're really proud of what, what our team has put together. Um, in terms of KPIs, I think that was another question that was asked um, of me to potentially address. You know, we have we have many KPIs and we have had them um, associated with all of our utilities, and we continue to track those things. Those things include things like compliance um, for the water and wastewater utilities. Um, you know, I think you all know we've been tracking PFAS um, in our finished water, so we have metrics around that, um, and thing also maintaining our buried infrastructure. So we, we, we have a goal of cleaning a third of our stormwater catch basins annually. Um, we track and trend sanitary sewer, sewer overflows. We look at condition assessment of all of our buried infrastructure. So water, stormwater and sanitary collection. Um, and we trend all of those things. Um, in the past year, just as for some statistics to share, you know, we've lined 60,000 linear feet of sanitary sewer and um, over 15,000 feet of storm sewer. So lots of really good work um, that has happened. Um, and I see, you know, Molly is on the call. So a lot of this work is stuff that she, her group is working on, um, tra trending and also, you know, completing. So kudos to the folks in public works. Um, and then I'll just add too, um, I was, I was sort of reviewing to sort of prepare for this to see some, other, some of our other metrics. And 
Um, we televised and cleaned uh, about 500,000 linear feet of sanitary sewer um, in the last year too. So really pretty impressive work done by our public works crew. So those are just a sampling of the types of metrics that um, we have in place associated with this new Ann Arbor water brand. Um, so I guess with that, I really wanted to see if there were any questions. That's sort of a brief overview, but I'd be happy to answer any questions you have um, about this topic. Um, Council Member Griswold. Uh, yes, I really appreciate this. And I was frantically looking for the first newsletter today and couldn't find it. So I'm glad to know it doesn't exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I did mention uh, in an administration meeting, probably six weeks ago at the most, a couple of opportunities for improvement regarding um water information, and it was taken more as a criticism than the opportunity that I uh, had mentioned. I'm glad to see this, and based on the timing, I know it had nothing to do with my comment, um, but I think this is great. My question is, will this include uh, the 1,4-Dioxane and Gelman, or will that continue to, to be a separate update? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, we, we have a, a responsibility, I think, in a previous resolution to report on that back to council. And that's how we've been, we've been following that, that um, communication obligation. So uh, I think that's probably going to continue separately. But if we get feedback um, from council um, that, we, that it should be blended, we can consider that. There's sort of a lot to talk about typically associated with that. Um, we don't want to maybe distract from the rest of our messaging, um, but I, you know, I haven't really given that a whole lot of thought. So if there's there's direction that you think is appropriate, we can take that into consideration as we continue to communicate about these things. Oh, okay, thanks. Because I probably get more questions about the Gelman plume and dioxane than I do about anything else. But I agree, we don't want to distract. Uh, and lastly. Um, I appreciate the visibility that the the water department or whoever's out there, that little drop guy, and um, and the the testing for the three types of water. Now, what I was told is that people who drink Ann Arbor water during the test they prefer Ann Arbor water, and people who don't drink Ann Arbor don't necessarily. Is is that actually statistically true? I don't know if we've done a lot of statistics on our taste tests at our events. Um, I can tell you that Ann Arbor tends to win out if we were actually scoring and, and ranking. But um, yeah, I think what are the experience that we, I think when I participated in those that we hear is that people get accustomed to what they're used to and that tends to be um, what their preferences are. So typically people who have grown up on Ann Arbor water prefer that and that there are people who we run into who, um, you know, maybe they're, they're from the UP and they grew up on a well water and they tend to like the, the flavor of hard water. So, um, yeah, it's a personal preference, I would say. But in general, Ann Arbor water stacks up well, I think, as you know, aesthetically, we've won a lot of awards in the state mm -hmm. on um, the taste of our water. So we're, we're pretty proud of that. Oh, okay. Thank you. And, and again, water issues are something that most people just take for granted. So you don't hear from constituents unless there is a problem or a complaint. So again, uh, thanks for everything you two do. 
I'm glad that you appreciate Huron, our water drop, because I think a lot of people um, really enjoy that, particularly the kids. So we're, we're glad to have volunteers to fill the suit when we have our events. Okay. I was dancing with him recently, so maybe I could volunteer after my time on council. <laughs> <laughs> Always looking for volunteers. Um, Commissioner Graham. I, uh, I think you're muted. Sorry, Brian. How, how are we doing on beginning construction on the water treatment plant upgrades? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so we're, we're still really in the infancy of that project. So we have, we're right in the middle of doing some of our initial planning. And one element of that is um, building a pilot plant that mimics the full-scale <laughs> treatment process. The reason we're doing that is we're going to evaluate some treatment modifications um, that will allow us, one, to do some challenge testing on some of these emerging contaminants that um, the council member raised, dioxane, PFAS. Um, so we'll look at if there's technologies we could implement that could position us to be better able to remove some of those if we needed to in the future. The other thing that we're going to be looking at is new softening technology. Um, and really the, the, the real driver for that is, is that there's technology that exists now that will allow us to soften the water, which is one of the, the critical processes that we use um, in a much smaller footprint. And in that case, we could potentially save a significant amount of money on rehabilitating the plant if we can um, do our softening in, in a smaller space. So there are some significant economic reasons why there, we're going to be doing the this pilot work. So the pilot work is anticipated to take probably about 18 months. Um, and then the results of that will inform the decisions that we would be wanting to make on what um, types of treatment we think are appropriate for Ann Arbor for the future. So in terms of when full-scale construction happens, we're still many years away from that, but we're doing, we're doing the beginning parts of the work to make the decisions on what treatment is appropriate for the city. So um, you've also been working on doing a better job controlling odor from the uh, sewage treatment plant. How's that coming? That seems to be going very well. We have, um, you know, we get intermittent, intermittent complaints, but it's been, um, we haven't had them um, in recent history. So I, I would, I think it's going well. But you have made improvements in the last year or so? I would have to get back to you because I don't know the details on what the the, the recent changes have been. Um, but I know that they've been they've done some odor control studies. I think one of the things that they do is they use um, a chemical um, that helps control odors, and then that's been very successful. So um, we've actually been thinking about setting up a time to come to talk to you about some items associated with the wastewater system. So that would be a really great opportunity to, to maybe dive into some of these questions and I can have Keith Sanders here great. better suited to, to answer some of those than I am. Thank you. Uh, anyone else? It looks like, oh, John Mursky. Thanks, Brian. By the way, I've been on my bike a half a dozen times at least um, by the waste treatment plant in the last couple of months and the order hasn't been noticeable. So take that as uh, feedback for your, for your tracking. Thanks very much. Great. 
Um, I have two sort of main topics. Um, short one is, um, as I understand it now, all the water departments are under one organization. Is that right? And in other words, what I'm basically getting at is, do you have now greater later labor flexibility and productivity by combining the three utilities? Is that part of the design? So we haven't made any any structural changes to staffing associated with this at, mm -hmm. at this point in time. Um, you know, we all of our utilities fell under the purview of public services, and they still do. Mm -hmm. um, and when we've always billed the utilities together, so they're all billed as a singular bill. So there, we've we've received we already received some of those economies of scale and organizational benefits. So this is really more about communication mm -hmm. um, and branding and trying to get um, an understanding in the community about the value of water as a singular resource, um, and to ensure that people take it seriously, protect it, and make sure that it's available for all of these important uses. Great. Okay. Thanks. The other couple of questions that I had relate to KPIs. So I very much appreciate the regular reports um, that we get via email on water quality. You talked about a number of other uh, metrics or KPIs. Are those available in the public domain? In other words, can you go to the city website and track some of the figures um, that you talked about, some of the metrics so that you can actually see what those what those look like? I don't think that they're at this point um, available through our website. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we can I can explore. Okay. So we have actually a resolution talking about. I don't that. want to put Molly on the spot, but she yeah. may be able to answer about some of the, the metrics that her group is tracking, and and we can discuss if there's if they're not means of maybe making them available in the future. Yeah, I, I don't know that we need to get into that level of detail. What I would hope is that they um, become available in the public domain, that they're trended so we can see not just a snapshot um, that, you know, X number of feet were done in this year, but how was that compared to prior years? And even more important, how did that compare to the goal for that year? So if you did, you know, 500,000 feet or 60,000 feet or whatever it was, was that meeting the target or was that 50% short of the target or was that above the target? That's really what I think is, is helpful for us in judging um, how we're doing against, you know, some of our key, key indicators and um, what our, what our objectives are in order to be able to maintain and operate the system effectively. So th those are just my thoughts on, on that topic. That's really good input. And I can tell you, we've been thinking about this um, also. We have, we've been working with our IT department. Um, we have some new tools that are available to us that will allow us to, to share information um, more timely also. So I think this is something that I can bring up with them and we can, we can get back to you on how we think we may be able to do that and in what time frame. That would be but great. I think it's a great point, and I've made some notes, and I'll I will be sure to get back in touch with about okay, about that. And, and I can add to that if if I may, Brian. Um, sure. That so for the galvanized service line replacement project, we have created a dashboard, and uh, it is my understanding that it's live. We were making some tweaks to it recently based on some feedback we had from our water advisory council. Mm -hmm. um, but that was just sort of the first of what we hope to be, you know, sort of many dashboards that are public facing on our web pages. Excellent, excellent. There is a city website called um, Performance Measures, and there's only about 
five departments that link to that page and all the measures that are posted there are, are about three or four years old. So um, okay. it would be great if we had that level of um, transparency um, that I think also is helpful for not only commissioners, but the public and potentially even for staff. So thanks very much. Uh, Steve Brown. Oh yeah, Brian, I just had a quick question of whether the dams are part of this, uh, is um, maintenance and supervision of the dams part of this new department? So the maintenance and the operation of dams falls under the umbrella of the water treatment services unit. So the answer is yes, from a structural standpoint. Okay, great. That's all I wanted to know. And um, I have a question which has to do with um, uh, tracking contaminants in groundwater specifically. I understand that there is some um, TCE that's being that has been identified at least on the west side of town and, and possibly other areas. And I'm just wondering if if that um, if information on that kind of testing and tracking will also be available to the public. I'm going to have to look into that and and let you know. I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, oh, John Mursky has another question. Yeah. No, well, just one quick comment um, for everybody's knowledge. Uh, I think, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, the city um, owns and controls four dams and two of them generate electricity. So we get hydropower from two of those dams um, that we then send into the DTE grid. Not, that's not very widely known. That is correct. It's about one and a half megawatts. Okay. Uh, any other questions or comments? All right. Um, thank you so much for this. And I look forward to an ongoing discussion of, of these issues and, and um, keeping the importance of water in the fore. It really is something we all need. Um, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you tonight. Yeah. Thanks all. Um, we're going to move now to a discussion of the annual solid waste report. And we have Sarah Mason and Molly Massachusetts. Massachusetts, and Molly, please correct me if I really mangled your name. <laughs> you didn't do too bad. <laughs> it's Machieski. Oh, thank you. You're closer than most, so thank <laughs> you for that. So yeah, uh, we'll turn it right over to Sarah. Sarah, okay. this is Sarah's show tonight. Okay. Oh, gosh, thanks, Molly. Um, <laughs> Okay, so I think I tested this earlier. I've got a, a short presentation to share with you just to kind of help um, guide the information I have. So let's see, make sure I can get this to work. Okay, I think we're there. And can everyone hear me okay? Yes. Okay. I've had some microphone issues, so glad to hear it. Um, and good evening. Uh, thank you again for having me. Uh, as a reminder, I'm Sarah Mason. I'm the resource recovery manager for the city. I first met most of you last year, shortly after I began working with the city. Um, and I'm excited to be back here with you tonight to share some of what we've accomplished in the past year, some of our challenges and some of our opportunities. I also want to uh, just highlight that uh, many of the things that I'm going to talk about, many of the programs are directly tied 
to recommendations in our most recent solid waste resource management plan. So um, we are making work or, or progress in, in that work. Uh, the plan included, you know, 24 different uh, recommendations under six different focus areas around residential, commercial, downtown area services, education and outreach, diversion related facilities and funding. And in almost each of those, we're, we're doing some work and making some progress towards some of the recommendations. So what I'd like to do this evening is um, share some in-depth detail on some of the major initiatives we've been working on, and then uh, touch on a few other programs that we've got happening, and then talk about some of our challenges and opportunities, and of course, leave some time for questions and answers. So the first thing I want to talk about is the um, Recycling educa Education Cart Tagging Campaign. And uh, some of you may recall, the city was involved in the planning and organization for the Washtenaw Regional Resource Management Authority, or you may know it as WARMA, over a few years. And I'm happy to say that earlier this year, the city was able to join as a member of the authority to help work on messaging around um, recycling and solid waste services in the region. Our membership brought access to some education grant dollars that were awarded to WARMA from EGLE for improving the quality and quantity of recycling collected in curbside programs. The other seven member communities of WARMA were able to complete this work last year and we focused on our residents for this year, which came at a great time for Ann Arbor as our new processing agreement um, did have a few small changes to the items that are acceptable in our curbside carts for recycling. So the, the cart tagging program, which is designed by uh, the Recycling Partnership, began by sending out this informational postcard uh, to all residents in single family homes that um, identified that we were going to be doing the project and what can uh, go in your cart and then some of the common items um, that we see in the cart that don't go in the cart. Then over the next five weeks, there was a period of cart tagging carried out uh, using temporary staff from Lead Point, which is a staffing agency that the Recycling Partnership works with. And they went by to look in carts and leave a tag if they found items that were in the cart that were not supposed to be in the cart. And they did that just by quickly lifting the lid and looking uh, on top. And um, so these were the tags that we used uh, for that program. And there, it's an oops tag. Um, it's meant to be... Um, it's not meant to be punitive. We really want everyone to do the right thing. It's just meant to say, um, you know, oops, we found something in your cart that shouldn't be in there. So please correct it and take that out. Um, to measure the success of the campaign, they do a audit on material before the cart tagging and an audit on a sample of material after the cart tagging to see if there was an impact on the quantity and quality of material collected. As part of that, um, scrap metal items were one of the items that was previously accepted in our curbside cart, but are no longer part of that program. Um, you can still take scrap metal to the drop-off station, but it's just not a good fit for the curbside program. It doesn't act the way packaging would act in the MRF, in, in the sorting equipment. So we actually had quite a bit of it in there. We sent out this as a top issue mailer, uh, focusing on that change to let our residents know that that was something that could no longer go in the cart. And we did see a dramatic reduction in the sample uh, collected before and after. So we do think that this messaging was helpful. Uh, additionally, uh, the results from the five weeks of cart tagging uh, showed that 
for the households that were visited, uh, we had an 80 and over 80% participation rate, which is excellent. And we saw a 20% decrease in the contamination from the pre-tagging sample to the post-tagging sample. And so um, that was also really excellent to see. Some of the top contaminants that we saw um, included uh, bagged recyclables, plastic bags and plastic wrap, bulky items, tanglers, which are long things that can get wrapped around the sorting equipment. So think of a garden hose or uh, like a chain or other long things, um, Christmas lights, uh, and then shredded paper. And shredded paper is another item that was previously accepted in our curbside cart and is not now. It um, Shredded paper in a MRF is like a party, uh, just goes everywhere. It's really too small to be recovered in that um, type of environment. So it's better to, I, I say party because it's like confetti. Uh, it's better to take that to a drop off. So that's the first thing that I was going to mention. Um, the second big initiative I wanna to talk to you about is the solicitation process we've on, undergone to secure a new franchise collection contract for commercial solid waste. The city does have a franchise for the collection of commercial solid waste. The current agreement has been in place for over 10 years um, and it was amended and extended because it was coming up for uh, renewal when the solid resource management plan was in development. And we wanted to wait until we had the recommendations from that plan before moving forward with this contract. We did a lot of stakeholder engagement. We talked uh, to our internal city staff. We talked to downtown stakeholders. We talked to other businesses that um, we sent out a survey to gather feedback from other businesses that receive um, collection under this contract. And then we put together our RFP, which was issued um, in May. And then the original due date was the end of June an extension was requested and granted. Uh, and so we, that should say July 16th. I'm sorry, I have a typo. It was extended to July 16th. Um, no, that's correct. Extension granted June 16th, due July 14th. And then we had the evaluation committee, which was made up of city staff, including um, we had customer service staff, uh, staff from OSI, the Office of Sustainability and Public Works staff. We conducted two vendor, interview, vendor interviews. We had two responsive proposals and one responsive no proposal. And after the vendor interviews, we selected waste management uh, as the um, intended vendor subject to a you know, successful contract negotiation, which we have been in place now. We've had three negotiation meetings with them. We have a fourth tomorrow um, just to work out some of the details around optional services requested in the uh, contract. And then we hope to have the final contract to city council for approval the end of this calendar year, very early next year. So the current agreement expires on June 30, 2023, and collection service under the new agreement would begin July 1, 2023. But in the intervening period, we're asking the vendor to do a right-sizing um, analysis of the current level of service and make recommendations to improve efficiencies where they see fit. Some of the other areas of focus under the new contract include moving to direct billing and customer service to be handled by the hauler instead of by the city. This is a pretty significant change and it is to create a better efficiency and a better service quality for customers under the agreement. Um, the city, especially around customer service was in 
the spot of being the in-between of receiving a phone call and then having to contact the vendor, get the information back, and then call the customer back. This will allow better communication directly between the customer and the hauler. The city will remain um, in an oversight capacity for any escalated customer service concerns. If things are not being handled appropriately, they can certainly reach out to the city to have that conversation with the hauler. And then the billing will also be handled directly. Um, that is the proposed plan at this time. The um, proposal included an online application for customer service, as well as having uh, customer service available by phone and by email. So this was a big um, need that we responded to that we heard from stakeholders that they felt like there was a, an opportunity to improve that communication. Um, city customer service is very responsive and they were very happy with it, but they do have a little bit more limited hours than what would be available um, for folks that need help on the weekends or after hours in the evening. The other big thing that we looked at, and this was also talked about in uh, the Solid Waste Resource Management Plan, especially in the downtown area, is a need for seven-day-a-week collection. The current agreement offers collection Monday through Saturday, but we know that in the downtown area, especially the weekends can be some of the busiest times, and that gap between a Saturday morning collection and a Monday morning collection there can be a lot of trash generated. So we did make that a mandatory part of the proposal that proposers offer us um, pricing and service for seven days a week, and they were responsive to that. Also, we asked for um, subscription-based organics collection. So there's no um, broad-scale program for organics collection from commercial properties, and there will be that option under this agreement they've partnered with um, waste management has partnered with My Green Michigan to be able to offer that service to those customers who would like to have it. Uh, and then we also asked for an on-demand bulk collection for larger items that won't fit in your regular collection containers so that you can get those handled quickly. I wanted to also point out that um, you know, with the commercial RFP, we did have a focus on both customer service and also looking for a vendor that would help us meet our meet our A two zero goals. So we did have a focus in the evaluation criteria on customer service and a sustainability plan, in addition to their work plan and qualifications. <clears throat> this is a project that goes along with the uh, procurement for the new commercial franchise. So we are undertaking an audit of the downtown solid waste collections. Uh, we have contracted with OHM advisors to assist with completing this audit. And for the purposes of this project, the downtown area was defined using the DDA boundary and the audit is focused only on trash collection. And it's looking at how businesses dispose of their trash, their frequency of service, and the sharing of containers, among other items. And the goal of this is to be able to help us better understand maybe where containers could be consolidated, where there could be efficiencies, um, to make sure that there is um, equity in the cost and that uh, like businesses are being charged like costs for the level of service that they need. This will also help us understand if we have a, an opportunity to establish minimum service levels to uh, prevent the overflow of trash. In order to do this work, um, 
we had to gather a lot of existing data sources, see what information was available, find those holes, and then try to fill them. So this work is ongoing, but once completed, it will be able to help us analyze the data and look for groups and tiers of like businesses to establish opportunities, as I mentioned, for establishing minimum service levels, and then also look at revising our fee structure for those containers that are shared, which there are many of those um, in the downtown area. The next item I'm very excited to share, um, and you might be aware, the city's existing drop-off station uh, was located on a closed landfill. It's been settling for some years. It has quarterly inspections by an engineer to monitor it. Um, and I'm just really happy to say that, um, you know, staff before me applied for and was awarded a grant to help make this project to help a new uh, drop-off station come to life. So the grant was submitted last summer and we found out right at the very end of last calendar year that we were awarded $850,000 uh, towards this project. There's an additional um, $1 million sort of earmarked from Washtenaw County uh, solid waste funding to go towards this project as well. It's still subject to approval by the County Board of Commissioners and the remainder of the funding will come from the approved City of Ann Arbor solid waste capital budget. And I, um, I really enjoyed about enjoyed learning about the regional collaboration since I've been here, and this project is really uh, representative of that. We've had Washtenaw County Recycling Ann Arbor and the City of Ann Arbor, and many others, uh, you know, working towards this for years. We've known since 2008 at least that uh, we needed to have a new site for this facility. So we've had a project team, as I mentioned. Um, the city and the county and Recycle Ann Arbor working together on planning for this. Uh, we wrote a scope of work uh, for a contract that was awarded to RRS to complete the drop-off site design and engineering work. Um, the facility is uh, targeted to be located on a parcel of property at the Wheeler Service Center. It's known as the Hilton parcel. I don't know for those who may be familiar. Um, that is geographically located in Pittsville Township. So that will be subject to approval, you know, by their planning commission. And that's slated to happen hopefully by late spring. Between now and then, we've got quite a bit of work to do. We've been in the planning process of, uh, with the project team talking about what the new site should include, what we would like for it to include. And um, that, you know, there's many benefits of a new facility trying to maybe expand the types of materials, have more hours of operation. It will be designed from the ground up as a drop-off station. So that will allow for a better flow of traffic and better movement of people, better location of, of uh, equipment on site. And a big part of this, a critical part of this is that we have to have community input insight and buy-in for this to be successful. And so part of the work that RRS is doing is they will be working with um, the key stakeholders to develop a prioritized list of options that best accomplish the objectives of maximizing recovery, reuse, and recycling, minimizing of waste to landfill, um, maximizing environmental stewardship and education through an innovative design that helps meet the needs of the community, but that does not duplicate services that already exist in the region or close by. 
And so they will be developing a community outreach plan that will include uh, meetings with key stakeholders, as well as two meetings with the public to give feedback on a final conceptual design. So they will be making three conceptual designs that will be narrowed down to one, and then we will have a minimum of two public engagement meetings uh, before taking a final site plan for approval. And we're hoping that if we get approval, we'll be able to go out for the construction um, bid early summer to have it be started, maybe late summer, early fall next year. <clears throat> We've had a lot of big things happen this year. Uh, one of the other items is that we've long partnered with the Ecology Center to do education around our trash recycling compost programs. And the work that they've done for the city historically has been focused more or less on youth education. And we've heard um, through the solid waste resource management, managing process, planning process and others that we needed to have a broader uh, reach with that education. And so we did... Um, Again, a lot of stakeholder engagement, talking to internal stakeholders, external stakeholders to see what that should encompass and developed a contract that has five major work areas, including the development and the marketing of a community-based social marketing plan campaign, uh, commercial sector education, outreach at community events, multifamily education, and then also youth education. The community-based social marketing was one of those items that was a direct um, recommendation from the solid waste research management plan. And so that will be uh, developed by engaging the community, um, different groups of folks. We have uh, some priority audiences, um, our partners, our industry stakeholders, those that operate the MRF, operate the compost facility, and then community champions. So that plan has not been developed yet. We're just in the very early stages of putting that together. So you'll probably be hearing more about that work as it progresses. Some of a couple of the other programs I just wanted to touch on are that um, <clears throat> we also completed two successful move in and move out events this year, one in the spring, one in the fall, both were held at 2000 South Industrial for drop-off operations. We also provided extra collections, uh, four days in the spring for free and five days in the fall event for free um, <clears throat> to those uh, customers who requested them in advance. Uh, we also have had several of our contracts up for renewal and under negotiation. So um, the contract for our compost operations, uh, the current contract, the operate current operations contract for the existing DOS, as well as the recycling collections for commercial and multifamily. Um, and then on top of all of that, we continue to monitor issues. We have, um, you know, trash in downtown alleys, and we continue to work with uh, various stakeholders to find more sustainable solutions for some of the things that happened there. And then also we have winter compost collection is on schedule for 2023. We did that uh, for the first time last year, we did once a month and we'll do that again for January, February, March um, <clears throat> to help collect more of the food waste in the winter. Now I also wanna share that we do have some challenges and some opportunities and some of the, uh, this is my last slide, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, 
the challenges and opportunities, uh, staffing remains a major challenge as there still is a national demand for CDL drivers. In response to that, Public Works uh, did secure funding um, in this year's budget for four new full-time employees to work in the solid waste collection program. However, because of the demand for drivers, We've launched a trainee position and program to hire in employees without experience and give them on-the-job classroom and field training to prepare them to take on a permanent position. Uh, That is for more than just solid waste positions within public works, but it will help us to get folks in the door for those full-time positions that um, do not have the experience as it is now. We could do be we need to do some greater outreach to multifamily and commercial businesses to increase the recycling collected and also to make sure that they're doing the proper handling of their recyclables. We have a real issue with breaking down boxes and you know trying to achieve space in some of the dumpsters. We're looking for uh, opportunities to collaborate on promoting the circular economy. You're going to hear a lot more about that great work shortly. Um, And then continuing to look for ways we can increase the capture of reusable materials for move out and reduce the landfilling of those items. And um, that's just continue to look for other ways to explore programs and services that help us move towards uh, the recommendations of the plan and A20. That's it. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Sarah. Um, I'll open the discussion with for some questions. And first up, Chris Graham. Uh, Sarah, two things. One, uh, the last I heard the new reuse station would be out on Jackson Road. How did it come that it moved to um, Platte Road? I think there are maybe two different projects. So the the drop-off station, the city's drop-off station that's currently- Uh, uh, Reuse station is out on Jackson. Yeah, so the the reuse is a separate project that I think Recycling Arbor is doing. And I think, yes, that's still slated for over there at the recovery yard. So you're talking about property just south of the Wheeler Center off Platte or are you coming in the other way? Uh, Yes. (laughs) So people won't have to- To be determined. People won't have to go through the scale to get to the drop-off center, I trust. So we're still in the preliminary design stages right now and in conversations with Pittsfield Township. So we do have to go through the PUD approval process and we'll see, you know, where that goes. Um, It's not always a done deal. Secondly, um, I've always put my white paper uh, shredded and my white paper to recycle in a clear plastic bag and put it in the recycle bin. Mm -hmm. I thought that was the rule and now you don't want it like that. I'm supposed to take that to the drop-off center? Right. Yes. You should take the shredded paper to the drop-off center and just put your other items. (laughs) I understand that. I always have. It went in a clear plastic bag. So it's clearly identifiable as white paper to be saved, pulled out of the stream. That doesn't My understanding is that the MRF doesn't want any bagged material. Okay. Uh, so. Oh, sorry. Was someone? I was going to move to Shannon. We don't hear you. Oh, bummer. Uh I think we I think we don't have chat on this either. Um, okay, all right. I'm so sorry, Shannon. Um, if Shannon if Shannon texts or emails one of us, then we could read it. That'd be good. 
Can we do, let's do that. And I'm going to move to um, um, Commissioner Gruber, and then we'll come back to you, Shannon. Thank you, Sarah. That was that was really helpful information to hear. I wonder. I I'm a parent, at, and so I observe the waste stream at the schools, and I notice, at least at this one school that I'm at daily, there isn't. In some cases, there's no recycling bins. Um, we have our own composting program, but I don't think a lot of schools compost. So I wonder, as part of your education outreach and marketing plan, do you you listed a lot of really great groups? Does the the AAPS school district fall under any of those groups? Do you do outreach to to them? So um, yes. It, so the the youth education program, um, we we did change it. Uh, it used to be that there would be like a menu of options, and different teachers could select programming. And we've revised that so that, and we are working with the AAPS so that all second graders and all seventh graders will get a program around um, materials management. And through that, we've partnered with the Freeman Environmental Center where they. Um, and so the, the second grade trip is like a half day field trip there where it's half day uh, with the Ecology Center at the city's program and half day with the Freeman Center staff doing a, a program with them. So yes, it includes them on that side of things, but not necessarily on like reaching out to the administration to see if they have recycling bins, but all schools should have recycling. So that's definitely something we could follow up on. Um, yeah, I get they do have recycling bin, but like, for example, at lunch, there's a lot of material used that it can be recycled, but it doesn't, it goes in the, the trash. Mm -hmm. so it's not stationed in places where staff or students can recycle and that might be an individual school thing but maybe some outreach on on that would would help it seems like maybe each school kind of does their own thing or at least that's my perspective maybe okay it's not like a central message sent to the schools about recycling and, and composting i i don't know if you guys do composting for each school or if they have to specifically request it there's a lot um, of waste that that could get mm -hmm. composted Right. Uh, so that's good feedback. And I'm not familiar enough to know with how the school system is organized and how they like disseminate information to their different facilities, how they set it up. But that's good to know. Um, and we can keep in mind when we're talking with them. I'll just I'll just say one more thing. I'll give you a number. We did a um, uh, we did a waste audit at Eber White Elementary School with their permission. Mm -hmm. And we um, we only measured food waste. We didn't measure um, recyclable materials. And there was 200 pounds of food waste every day at one elementary school, which comes out to about 36,000 pounds of food waste over the entire year at one elementary school. Yeah. We're composting it now, but we're composting it in a pit on site. So it's not going to the city compost. Mm -hmm. but I don't know how representative that is of the entire district, but I would guess um, it's pretty close. I mean, there are other schools are having similar numbers. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, John Mursky. And Shannon, did you send a question? And I'm not sure who you sent it to. It didn't go to me. I hope it went to Steve. No? Sean? Sean. Okay. We'll ask Sean to come in. Okay. So, but first to John Mursky. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I want to make sure that I understood the new commercial contract is uh, trash to landfill collection only, right? 
Um, yes, also with a subscription-based compost collection. Right, with a subscription composting. But in terms of any changes to recycling, um, there's nothing related to that, right? That's, I know, part of the shrimp, but that's a completely different activity, right? Yes, and yes, so you're right. Uh, there was a recommendation originally to, it, it didn't go quite like, you know, there were a few options there. And yes, so it's not consolidating recycling into that, but nothing has changed with our recycling collection, just with the trash. Right. It, it, am I correct that recycling in the commercial center is in the low teens in terms of diversion rate? Does that sound right? I think maybe, I think it's, like, it's above 20%. So I don't think it's quite that. Oh, okay. But I, I would have to double check. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Sarah, if I could just add one thing about recycling collection. So the one thing that has changed in the last year is in July, we started Saturday collection in the downtown. Uh, that was something that we've wanted to do for a very long time. And with the additional funds to hire four more people, we were able to make that happen. Okay. Okay, great. Um, I was looking for something else actually in preparation for this meeting and I came across something and this is going way back. So I don't know if anybody can copy, uh, comment on it. Let me, um, let me look at my other screen here just a second. It says, um, so this was on a March, 2009 resolution to authorize commercial solid waste collection contract with waste management. And it says in, the um, statement um, related to it that the results of this effort indicate that the recommended programs can be implemented to enable the city to achieve 50% diversion of its commercial waste stream while maintaining a positive net impact on the bottom line of solid waste enterprise fund. That, what happened if we were targeting 50% in 2009, what what's different about today or what went, what changed? Can anybody comment on that? I, I can't speak to this program specifically. However, I will tell you that generally diversion rates have been a trickier thing in the industry because we've seen a light weighting of the ton as packaging has evolved and what goes in the recycling stream. Um, that might be a little bit different on the commercial side, but on the, the residential side, we've seen that really, um, shift you know we've seen newspaper drop out no one really takes the newspaper that much anymore you know we've seen cardboard go up the the packaging has become thinner and lighter weight more plastic less other materials so um in general tracking those diversion rates which are done as a weight-based metric has uh, there's been a lot of discussion about you know uh is that the best way to measure a successful program because your volume could go way up but the weight may not Okay. Okay. Um, maybe that's something we can talk about at a future meeting if we look into diversion rates in greater detail. Um, another thing for, for my uh, education and understanding, uh, I remember past reports on the status of the Solid Waste Reserve Fund used to indicate that there was planned spending for rebuilding the drop-off station. There would be, you know, uh, a footnote saying that, you know, X number of dollars were being planned for that. And what you mentioned, as I understood it, is that 
the funding for this capital project is coming out of sat the capital solid waste um, budget uh, or capital um, capital plan. What do I write down? The capital budget, basically. What is this? I know obviously the solid waste reserve fund is used to some degree depending on commodity prices to buffer that and things like that. Is it used also to fund capital projects like the drop-off station or was funds from it used for the Murph reconstruction? I don't think so. I think RIA did that on there. What's the solid waste reserve fund used for other than these buffers to buffer us against um, market, let's call them market uh, fluctuations? That's a good question. Uh, I'm probably going to have to defer um, to finance and like find out a bit more. I'm a little bit new still and knowing the history of the fund and everything. So I'll have to find out for you and get back. Okay. I, I will I will just add though that, um, you, you know, you, you mentioned you talk about sort of saving for rainy day or fluctuations and we are already seeing some pretty big shifts. Um, in the market, in the recycling market in particular, the commodities markets have fallen uh, for paper. Right. We we are seeing um, pretty significant price increases coming for almost all of our contracts. Mm -hmm. Well, I should say virtually all of our contracts that are up for renewal. And um, also the even our preliminary engineering numbers for the drop-off station look like we're going to be spending quite a bit more than we originally planned. So. Yeah. Those, you know, those things do have an impact. And I know, you know, again, we don't want to speak for finance uh, on the particulars, but that is that is something to think about. Okay. Um, you know, on top of, you know, we continue to look at ways that we can improve service and add service. And of course, then we've got to figure out how to balance that. And we don't want to necessarily use fund balance for that, but we, we do have to factor everything in and look at the whole picture when we're making those choices. Right, okay. And then related to that, uh, posted to Legistar prior to the meeting, uh, there was um, a sort of budget summary for solid waste collection, revenue and expenses. And it looks, it looked the way I understood it, is that solid waste ran a surplus, or two years were posted, 2021 and 2022, I think, the two fiscal years. I think they were fiscal years. And it looked like there was like a, this is now by memory, three and a half million dollar surplus two years ago and roughly half of that last year. Does that sound right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I, you know, I'll, I let me get back with, um, with you on the particulars around the finances. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. And then one last question, sorry. Um, you talked about um, the contract with uh, the Ecology Center. And I know that while RAA is affiliated with the Ecology Center, it's a separate entity with a separate board and separate finances. And in talking um, with Brian Weiner um, and those uh, another associate from RAA, um, I was told that the maintenance of the R to Z, uh, A to Z um, recycling guide um, is, is what you might call an educational activity, but there's no funding for that from the city. In other words, they don't have any resources, even you know a percent of an FTE to maintain that. Um, 
And it seems to me that that's uh, an important resource. Certainly it is for me. I look at it all the time when I'm confused or when my, you know, someone asks me, particularly my wife, can I recycle this or can I recycle that? And it seems to me like that's something that needs to be addressed because that I think, you know, it's even linked on the city website. Um, so maybe that's something you can look at together with the Ecology Center and RIA to ensure that there's some resources to maintain that um, because, you know, there's been some changes with some of the new materials that you send up about what is and what isn't recyclable and things like that. So um, just a, a hint to uh, pursue that potentially going forward. That's it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, John. Um, I am going to read Shannon Gibrandel's question. And thank you, Shannon, for sending it. We got a little confused in the background here. Um, Shannon says that she has a question about school as well. Um, her husband wants to start a composting uh, program for the open school, but the once in a month in the winter uh, makes that impossible. The pickup, I guess it is. On-site is impossible due to the volume. Is there any way to consider a more frequent service for schools due to the volume? And that's for composting specifically, I believe. So as it is now, I think there may be a couple of schools that were piloted where the city does collection for compost, but mostly we're not providing that service directly. And so the service that will be available under the new franchise agreement will have service up to six days a week. So because it is focused more on that food scrap um, and certainly food heavy businesses or other locations would need more frequent collection than once a week. And that would definitely be with the schools, with the public schools? They receive their trash collection under the agreement, yes. Okay, but this is composting? I would have to look at a specific instance, but uh -huh. I think, yes, they should be available to have that service if they're under the contract. Okay. Shannon, did I ask the question correctly? One more thing. Okay, send it over. <laughs> So just to clarify, your question was about subscription-based composting under the new contract, or was it about residential? No, this was about public election. schools, composting right. in public schools. Correct. And but so the, the example was the open school, Mac Open. Mm -hmm. Right. So servicing, if we can service a school um, that sits along a residential route that has carts, then we're able to absorb that into sort of our current operational structure. If they're looking at something larger, like getting a dumpster then and servicing compost that way, that would fall under um, the commercial compost um, subscription base that we're looking at starting with um, waste management and their subcontractor under that new contract. Okay. But right now, large scale school composting is not offered. Uh-huh. So what about, um, Shannon, I'm, sure not, I'm not sure I'm getting in this because I'm not familiar with the program, but winter service, is is there a service in the winter? So right now we do winter compost uh, just once a month. Uh, we have very, very low volumes. Uh, <laughs> so low, it's almost hard to measure if they're so low sometimes, uh, mm -hmm. especially when they get frozen in the carts. Um, but um, we piloted that last year and you know we felt that it was successful that uh, we hope to grow participation, um, but we don't really ex uh, plan to grow the, the frequency right now just because the volumes are so low. 
Yeah. But if um, I if I may, under the 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 subscription service under the new contract, that six days a week would be year round. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's different. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right. So right. Nice. Sort of apples and oranges as far as you know, it really depends on the container type and where that school facility is located and what type, what volume they're looking to get rid of. Okay. And I'm hoping that you'll kind of address or you know, assess the schools as well, because maybe each one has unique situations. And and I would guess that there's a lot of interest in it. Certainly there's an educational value. Yeah. I do know that some of the schools have tried composting. You know, I don't know what service they've used and what success they've had. But, um, you know, with the uh, contract with the Ecology Center, that's something, an opportunity that we can look at. Uh Okay. Um, Commissioner Gruber, did you want to pursue your question with your hand up? I think it mostly got covered. I just would encourage you to reach out to the schools because I I do think there's a lot of interest. And I do think that um, the district is going to be is hearing from the community that they want more of this and so they they would potentially be in, I hope they would be interested in the subscription I don't know how that works but that um I, I would encourage you to communicate with the district on on that option for them yes thank you we will definitely look into that right. um and I'm a little worried about time you all but um Steve uh, Brown you had your hand up you're going to pass Okay. All right. I actually feel like we need to move forward with our next um, topic, but I really want to thank um, Molly and Sarah for being here and answering these questions. And it sounds like there's some some um, important kind of follow-up that we can do, and we'd be happy to do that. So um, let's, let's collect our questions and pass them along. Um, and so um, I am going to ask that we all move to our next topic, uh, which is the circular economy. And we have presentations um, led by um, Commissioners Callowert and Council Member Dish and the students, staff that have joined in and prepared information for us. So um, yeah, I'll turn it thanks, over to you. Okay, if I take it over? Okay, thanks. Yeah, I've just got a brief uh, intro here to a two-part Uh, overview that we're going to be sharing about the circular economy. Uh, This work builds out of the Environmental Commission Zero Waste Working Group. Uh, For nearly two years, uh, Council Member Dish, City Staff Member Jenny Petoskey, and myself have been meeting weekly or even more frequently than that sometimes to focus on strategy five of A20. How do we move forward and move towards a circular economy? Our guiding objectives with all of this work has been to define, measure, and promote the circular economy in Ann Arbor. Uh, This work has been extremely successful, in in my opinion, in garnering financial and other support to kind of move it forward and accelerate the work. And I think that's been due to kind of this effective partnership of a a council member, a commissioner, and city staff so that we've been very coordinated in our efforts from the very beginning. Just some examples of the resources that we've been able to pull together for this. Uh, We've had two interns supported by the Office of Sustainability. Uh, We had a micros grant from, or we have a micros grant from Next Cycle uh, that was initially to support the interns, but due to timing that's been redirected for outreach. Uh, We also had support through Next Cycle's I2P3, the Intergovernmental Initiatives for Public-Private Partnerships. That has really helped us refine and focus our message. And uh, the outcome of that is gonna be what Jenny's gonna be sharing with you in a minute. 
Uh, we've also been very fortunate to have a group of students from the School for Environment and Sustainability with us for their master's project for about a year and a half. And they've also leveraged additional funding to bring uh, resources and support to the work. And finally, we just got funded with a uh, $20,000 uh, urban, urban Sustainability Directors Network grant to uh, help us with some focused community outreach that we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. And I just wanna recognize one of our great partners in all of this, uh, Kathy Duchon from the Ann Arbor Thrift Shop is one of the attendees tonight. So just wanna thank them for all of their work. Uh, and you'll be hearing a little bit about uh, what we've been doing with that partnership. So with that, I'll turn it over to Jenny to give us kind of the overview. Hi all, can you hear me? Okay, I'm gonna share my screen. All right, so I'm Jenny Petoskey. I'm the Solid Waste Outreach and Compliance Specialist. I originally gave this presentation at a pitch for the Michigan Recycling Coalition Conference as part of the Next Cycle Challenge track. So you'll hear me asking for funding. That was part of the pitch. I left this in here to help illustrate the innovative ways that we are seeking support, which John just uh, enumerated, and to highlight the significant support of the state for funding for materials management. There's a lot of money out there right now. Um, as you know, City Council unanimously passed a carbon neutrality plan um, for the entire city to be carbon neutral by 2030. One of the strategies in there was to move toward a circular economy. That's under strategy five. So our project is showcasing the role that reducing consumption can play in reducing carbon emissions and also in promoting equity. Um, by expanding opportunities to reclaim products, materials, skills, and valuing people. The circular economy is all around us, but it's not a household work word. Our project has inventoried map, and now we want to brand and market Ann Arbor circular economy to make it visible, accessible, and enticing to all who would shop, sell, or participate. Maybe the circular economy isn't a household word because it addresses parts of our carbon footprint we don't often think about. When think about people think about reducing their carbon footprint, they typically think about energy, solar panels, electric cars. They don't think about the goods that they buy. This is where the circular economy comes in. 45% of greenhouse gas emissions are from the consumption of products and materials. I just want that to sink in a bit. Everything we buy produces greenhouse gas emissions. So if we can reduce the consumption of goods, we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The circular economy plays, also plays a role in resiliency, which we measure as connections and skills that enable people to thrive as climate change progresses and equity, which we see as ensuring everyone has access and equal outcomes or the outcomes that they desire. Through our one-on-one -on -one engagement, we have discovered that equity and resilience are inherent to and developed by the circular economy. Over the last hold on a second. Over the last 18 months, through a literature review and one-on-one -on -one engagement, we discovered that the circular economy is vast and it's grounded by those whose participation is a part of their lives rather than a term. This is historically our black, indigenous, people of color and lower income communities. Some of you may think of the circular economy as product and business focused. What we discovered is that, is that it is also about people, governments, skills and services. 
While the linear economy creates emissions by linking consumption to waste, the circular economy reduces consumption-based emissions by keeping consumer goods in circulation. Read the items on the list. On this list, do you do any of these items? Raise your hand if you do any of these items. If you do, you're part of the circular economy. It's not a household word yet. We need to brand and market so that it is. I'm going to take you on a journey of our discoveries. When you think of the circular economy, think social services. These entities employ reused goods to help house and resettle people. Many times these organizations trade goods amongst themselves, a circular economy in miniature. These organizations build equity and resilience in our communities. Think food redistribution and growing local that build resilience and equity through access to local healthy food. As you may know, food production, especially at scale, is fossil fuel intensive. Anything that maximizes the use of food reduces greenhouse gas emissions. Think buying in bulk and buying local to reduce the need for creating new or even recycled packaging to build equity via investment at the local level and to shorten supply chains. Think reskilling for the circular economy workforce, which will build equity through opportunities for good paying jobs. Think reskilling for people repairing their own goods, which helps them to be more resilient. Think communities participating in swap days, repair cafes, and fix-it clinics to recirculate and extend the lives of goods while building connections. Think hyper-local online communities like Buy Nothing groups. Think innovative reuse. Um, this is the Ann Arbor Thrift Shop. After completing considerable one-on-one -on -one engagement, we did three case studies to better understand how the circular economy could be measured. One of our discoveries is that the Ann Arbor Thrift Store creates an on-ramp to the circular economy by mimicking a more traditional store's displays and layout. Think borrowing. Raise your hand if you use your local library to borrow books. Now raise your hand if you've borrowed something besides a book from your library. All right. <laughs> the Ann Arbor District Library has been loaning more than books since 1969. They also offer free workspaces and internet access, promoting equity through access to space and internet. To build people's resilience, they offer reskilling resources. Think innovative recycling. Recycle Ann Arbor's Zero Waste Murph focuses on the highest and best use of its materials. You can see this is their highest and best use analysis for glass. Um, they focus on local end markets that are less than 200 miles away and full-time living wage jobs with benefits. They also hire formerly incarcerated citizens and support them with finding housing and transportation while also providing them meals. As you can see on this journey, we have discovered a lot about the circular economy and how it recognizes and builds equity and resilience while reducing greenhouse gas emissions. We know this, and now we want everyone else to know it through a branding and marketing campaign. We made this map so people could find circular economy entities almost four months ago. As of last week, it had 719 visits. People are really interested in this map and utilizing it. It is an unramp to the circular economy. This work has the support of many organi local organizations that will help move it forward. We are working with economic development agencies, including SPARC, the Entrepreneurship Center, and the Michigan Small Business Development Center. 
We're working with business groups and with social services, including the Community Action Network. We have created connections with about 20 other entities through our one-on-one engagement, and several of them are willing to be featured in our Stories of Circularity video series. The first one to be featured will be El Harissa, a local restaurant and boutique shop. Um, We'll either show that presentation, that video after this presentation, or we'll send it around afterwards. And then finally, through the fully staffed Office of Sustainability and Innovation, we have links to over 100 other sustainable community organizations. This is a preliminary budget for investing in circular economy branding and marketing. You may recognize this from a different um, project at the city. We want to change the way people purchase and value goods and services. We want the circular economy to be the first option instead of a quick online purchase or a big box store. We are looking for funding for this work through grants, partnerships, and the upcoming A20 millage. We've already done broad one-on-one engagement. Our next step is to hire an independent consultant to design and assist with the next phase of engagement that will further ground this work in Black, Indigenous, people of color, and lower income communities, as well as with residents and consumers at large. Following that work and informed by it, we want to kick off branding and marketing. Imagine these entities in the circular economy being advertised on billboards and bus stops across the city. Help us make the circular economy a household phrase. There is demand in Ann Arbor. There is support in Ann Arbor. We need funding for branding and marketing, as well as workforce development and map improvements. Thank you. Thanks, Jenny. And I don't think we're going to be able to share the video because we weren't certain about the audio, but I'll share that out with the commission right after this meeting. Before we move to the C students, why don't we see if there's any uh, questions for Jenny on her presentation? Okay, yes, John Mursky. It's great to see the progress just in the last couple of years on this. I mean, compared to just a couple of years ago, it's really fantastic. Um, One of the things that I was thinking about in advance of the meeting is a um, a way to sort of look at a at a high level of what kind of progress we're making on circular economy. And I think um, John and the same group, um, Councilmember Dish, others were working on metrics um, for circular economy. And it seems to me there was a presentation that you made. I don't know if it was a final one, um, but just one of the thoughts that I had, and I I just looked up some numbers. Um, before the meeting, just to get a sense of what a Herculean task we have in front of us, is I looked up what is the typical annual sales volume for typical stores. And it would be interesting to compare that to the sales volume of the stores that we have that are involved in the circular economy. And a typical grocery store um, I couldn't find a number, but I could. I found the total number of grocery store or supermarkets um, and divided that into um, the total sales. So this might be off, um, but it's roughly $20 million a year. A, a typical target, a single target store is $50 million a year. A single Walmart is $80 million a year. And a single Costco is $220 million. So when we look at the circular economy competing with all of that and then Amazon and everything else. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's daunting, but it's something we absolutely have to do. Um, so I think the, the seeds that you guys are planting and the idea of branding and everything like that is fantastic. So I, I just wanted to share that and maybe we can think about how we measure our progress. Um, the other question that I had, and it doesn't have to be answered today, I know that the climate millage uh, allots roughly $1 million if it's passed to circular economy, zero waste, and you showed $150,000. So it'd be really interesting to see how we might spend that uh, additional money. And I think some of that might've been for some collect collection services and things like that. But at some time it would be really interesting to see um, how that um, is gonna be allocated. So just to plant both of those seeds and I'll turn it over to Kathy. Oh, okay, thanks. Um, <clears throat> I'm 110% behind this, just to make an incorrect statistical comment for John's benefit here. Um, but this, this is wonderful. This is absolutely something we have to do. Um, <clears throat> I'm 70 years old. I started shopping at the Goodwill store when I was 10 and then would have my grandmother sort of uh, alter whatever I was buying. Um, and so I, I one word of caution <clears throat> is that there are many people who have been committed to this. Um, I belonged to Kiwanis for many years. I uh, was a merchandising chair at the Ann Arbor Thrift Shop. I'm still a member. And I have watched people retire from their careers and spend more hours dedicated to making the Kiwanis Thrift Shop a success. And for anyone who hasn't been out to Kiwanis on a Friday or Saturday afternoon, uh, you need to look at the operation. They have more customers than a Walmart. They have probably 20 uh, credit card machines. They use Square going at the same time. The average age of the volunteers there is probably close to 80 years old. Uh, so it's really, you know, it's just so wonderful. And so what you're reporting, uh, a lot of it is already happening and maybe we need a little boost, but I think you have to be sensitive to the idea that you're coming in and taking credit for decades of work that's already been done. And so how do you bring in the concept of a circular economy and branding without, while at the same time, enhancing the operations of the Ann Arbor Thrift Shop, Kiwanis, and those other organizations. So again, I want to be that? positive, but I, I think that there is a delicate balance there. Mm -hmm. um, I, and, and please go out and see the operation that, that Kiwanis runs. We used to be downtown Ann Arbor and due to real estate values and a lot of other reasons we move, but it really is an Ann Arbor operation. So thank you. Um, thank you very much for that comment. You are spot on. This work is here. We just we rediscovered it and we and we want to promote it is, is kind of what we're saying. Like we know it's already here. We know a lot of people have done a lot of work and, and we want to showcase that and, and help other people see it and be part of it. We also want to do business incubation to help bring in um, fresh people into it, um, younger, you know, people who can continue on. Um, so I hope, I hope that yep. helps thread that needle a bit. And I'd also just add, and also to what are the opportunities 
definitely to recognize and acknowledge the, the volunteer efforts in this, but are there also opportunities to create waged employment uh, through the circular economy? So that's part of where we're going with our ideas around uh, circular economy business incubators. But oh. definitely, yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, Kiwanis also has a number of employees and they tend mm -hmm. to be people who, um, I'm going to be critically try to be politically correct, people that they're trying to uh, support entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. um, and so people that need more support than the average employee. Yep. So there's there's also that going on right now. Yep. Um, and so I guess just to, to summarize, how can you um, really acknowledge and support all of the great work that has been going on so that the people who are doing that are going to join you rather than see this as just the city of Ann Arbor taking credit for what's already been done with with the new logo. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't believe I, that, but I believe that there's that risk out mm -hmm. there in the community. Definitely. I'd say our approach with this from the beginning has been one of partnership and mm -hmm. co-production of, of work. And what are the ways we're just starting an inventory, the students have mentioned it a little bit, but an inventory to get at what are the things that businesses would or, or organizations would need to help you know, promote their activities. So it's definitely not kind of taking credit for what they're doing, but how do we promote? We've got video series, stories of circularity, but the, what you've identified, Kathy, are definitely things that you know, we've built an awareness around and are trying to think about strategies to promote organizations. So um, why don't we shift now to the second part, which is the, the student presentation. Uh, these are the students from the School for Environment and Sustainability, a group of five master students. And Zhao is gonna get things started and introduce us to the group. Yeah, hi, uh, good evening everyone, I'm Zhao. Yeah, I'm going to share my screen here. Yeah, um, so yeah, we are the CIS master project team from University of Michigan. We work with the city circular economy team on the circular economy. So today, um, yes. So first, uh, we are introduce our team member. So we have a very like diverse team. Um, so we have Brooke, Anaya, Tariku, uh, Zijun, and me. So today, Anaya, Jin, and me are um, going to present to you. So first, let's go through what we are present today. Um, so first thing is the pilot uh, case studies uh, we've done with uh, the city team this summer. Uh, uh, one is Ann Arbor service shop, another is recycle Ann Arbor. And the second thing is uh, we're going to present the Annabur Circular Economy Locator Map. And the third is the Circular Economy Actions Tracker. And we're also going to present the BIPOC business inventory and communication, uh, a community outreach and stories of circularity video series. So I'll get things started with the pilot study of the Ann Arbor Swift Shop. A thrift shop serves the circular economy by changing the experience of thrift shopping and also reducing the carbon footprint 
Um, as we can see, this is a floor plan that we created after uh, one of our team members visit and also interview with the shop. Um, here we can see everything is set up just as a department store. And those pictures in the circles shows um, some of the beautifully displayed and arranged sales area of the thrift shop. Uh, as a customer, you can go and easily find what you want in a designated area. And then we're going to the next slide to talk about the potential environmental benefit from operating a thrift shop. Um, so this pie chart shows the annual sales number of the Ann Arbor thrift shop. We put the numbers of every items that belongs to the industry of manufacture of textiles, wearing apparels and leather products, which is the, uh, like the most part of what is got thrifted in the thrift shop. And after running the environmentally extended input output model, um, we can see the result is the potential annual benefits from a thrift shop is around $250,000 of apparel production avoided and nearly 9,000 kilograms of CO2 equivalence reduction. And also since the apparel industry is of a great potential of employment creation, there's also a nearly one employee equivalence increase. And we're going to the next slide. Here, what we want to highlight is the thrift shop is actually a circular economy in circular economy. <laughs> From what we can uh, see in this pie chart, which shows for those items that is unsellable for the thrift shop, they actually got recirculated through different channels. Um, apart from 20% going to the recycling, other items um, got sold online uh, by different channels and they uh, generate the revenue to cover the daily operation of the thrift shop. And then I'll hand over to Zhao to talk about the Recycle Ann Arbor. So our next, uh, uh, next uh, case study is Recycle Ann Arbor. So when talking about recycling center, you may think it's just like handling with the recycling stuff. Actually, the recycling, the recycle and number is doing more than just recycling. They are aiming for highest and best use. So you can see the pie chart here. So the majority resources of the recycling materials are curbside recycling, which is the single stream recycling. And RA is hiring 17 sorters and seven administrators um, to run the uh, MERS. And, uh, and they are also hiring the returning community members. Also, they focus on the regional markets, which means the markets uh, are, uh, like, uh, are not far than 200 miles. And then we... Uh, Take deep into the composition by community that RAA is dealing with. So we can see here, um, so around 7% of the recycling materials are actually paper. 
The one is cardboard and, uh, and mixed paper and the news. So, um, and uh, we can see the mixed glass. So this part is quite interesting because uh, RA aims for the highest and best use. So they can deal with the glass, but they uh, handle it to the third party to do the bottle to bottle uh, recycling in order to make sure uh, the recycling process is in the highest and best use. And we can also see the residual rate um, here is around 10%. And the residual rate it, it means the materials that can't be recycled. So the 10% residual rate shows that actually uh, in the city, uh, people are well educated and they have good environmental awareness so um, everyone is working hard to make the residual rates very low. And we also uh, look at the environmental benefits that RA can offer. So here we do a multi-community analysis by using EPA work model. We created two scenarios. One is recycling scenario, which is uh, what RA is doing now. And another is landfilling scenario. So the landfilling scenario, that means all the materials are going to landfill. So you can see the total row here. If all the recycling materials are going to landfill instead, instead of recycling center, it will actually generate 500 more uh, metric ton CO2 emissions. But by doing the recycling another, um, uh, it will reduce around 14,000 metric tons JG emissions. Uh, so I want to mention that the data is obtained from December 2021 to April 2022. So that's the JG emission reduction for five months. And let's uh, hand over to Anaya to talk about the locator max. Um, yes, so another element of our project is the Ann Arbor Circular Economy Locator Map. And so this map shows places where we can advance the circular economy. And uh, on the city's website, it's getting a lot of hits. So uh, a little bit about how we went about creating it is that first we identified the potential uh, circular economy sectors within the city and then collected and organized the data, including names, websites, and address, as well as categories of each of these organizations or businesses. And um, so we later categorized them into all of these categories that you can see here in the legend of the map. Um, after that, we kind of uh, collected spatial data, that is the latitude and longitude of each of these places, and uh, created this map using ArcGIS. And if we click on the map, yes. So if we click on the map and toggle to each of these uh, places or organizations, we can see that there's a bubble that pops up and we can see information about each of these places. And uh, we're also working on updating what kind of information uh, could be included in these, um, in these small levels about each of these places.
the next kind of uh, element that we wanted to add to the map was to kind of incorporate environmental justice. So we added another layer uh, using the Washington Opportunity Index uh, map. And uh, that actually, that tool actually measures the access to opportunity by looking at uh, access to health, jobs, economic well-being, education and training, as well as community engagement and stability. So when we kind of added or superimposed that layer onto our map, the CE locator map, we kind of understand how it, um, it can help us identify certain areas or places where we can focus on incubating the circular economy within the city of Ann Arbor. And uh, one of our group members is also working on adding access to transportation layer as well. And here we're also utilizing this action tracker to keep track of the ideas from all the interviews and partner meetings takeaways. Uh, those actions are categorized with 7R. Um, and they are also ranked um, based on its influence level from local to national. We've got 30 more circular economy actions planned so far, and we're keeping updating it. Uh, then the BIPOC business inventory. Uh, so there are 146 business in Ann Arbor and surrounding areas in our BIPOC business inventory. And the inventory also contains the discoveries from our community outreach. And we also plan to add the BIPOC business inventory to the map. Also, the city has secured funding to hire an equity consultant to help improve the BIPOC business inventory. Another key element of our project is the community outreach. And so uh, this is one of the examples of such an event. So Project Grow is uh, the it provides Ann Arbor area residents with space, know-how, and inspiration to grow their own fresh organic food. And there are gardens that are located throughout the community, many near uh, public transportation. So one can choose a site that's closest to their home. And so in this event, uh, as an exhibitor for Project Grow's 50th anniversary, which was on August 20th, uh, we showed our concept of circular economy, kind of showed our promo video that we created and the data visualization or the locator map that we went over. And uh, this in turn attracted new people to be enrolled in the mailing list for circular economy. And we also got to meet uh, Chris, Mayor Christopher Taylor. Uh, the other part of our community outreach is the stories of circularity video, and we're showcasing different uh, organizations and businesses that are already uh, involved in the circular economy. And so El Harissa is a family-owned restaurant in Ann Arbor that participates in uh, Ann Arbor's Returnable Container Program, which is the ADU-R3 program. So uh, we created this video kind of by interviewing the owner and uh, collecting footage uh, at their restaurant and kind of compiling uh, both of those elements. So our our group next stop uh, next steps is through the end of the course have uh we have five like things to do. One is we are uh, we are continuing uh creating the inventory survey to create uh 
So can you call me based on, uh, the second thing is that is, uh, we are also going to upgrade the GIS map with other layers and details. And at the end of the course, we're going to do the final project report. Also, uh, we assist with the committee outreach. And next month, we are going to present our work in American Center for Life Cycle Assessment Conference. That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Zhao, Zijun, and, and Nanya. Um, Steve and Rita, do we have a couple of minutes for questions? Steve, I see your hand up. Go ahead. You're muted. Yeah, I have just one question, and that is, I know this, you know, this, this is wonderful work. Um, it's, it's absolutely fabulous, but um, what's going to happen when the SEAS project ends? Um, and uh, is this uh, all going to get transferred to the city for maintenance and uh, future use? Well, it, I'll, I'll take that, and then if anybody else wants to add on, um, it was, I think that's part of Kind of the intention from the beginning is that we've been working directly with city staff so like the gis map the students are heavily involved in it but it's being done by city staff so we've got kind of the continuity plan for it and jenny has been you know involved in leading this project from the beginning to make sure things will be continuing jenny i don't know if you've got other comments on that or continuity yeah, John, you're, you're, you're spot on. Um, the, there's a circular economy website. It's a city website and um, the, the GIS platform is hosted on the city's website as well. So there's the continuity there. We could also say that the outreach we're doing is, is going to feed directly into the city's circular economy strategy. So um, everything is, we're, we're just getting a whole lot of momentum going and we're hoping that uh, so that 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 uh, with the millage there will be more funds to have uh, people to work on that in the in the city. Thanks, Anne. Yeah, one of the categories on the map was social and environmental, um, and I was curious what's an example of one of those organizations. Jewish Family Services. Got it. Thank you. Okay, well, thank you uh, so much uh, for letting us share this this work with you. And I am going to shoot off that email with the second video on El Harisa, so you can kind of see their work. And that's we plan to continue. There could be a whole series of them, but we've got a general overview one now, which is on the website, and then uh, El Harisa will be posted soon. Okay. Oh. And Just Help Yourself Day, um, done by Sister Lakes Association, will be done also very soon. The next one's coming up will be Bryant's uh, Just Help Yourself Day and um, Common Cycle and maybe a Makerspace or All Hands Active. That's great. Thank you all. This was really very good. Um, so that ends our, our presentation part of our meeting. And we have um, actually about 10 minutes left for, for this meeting as scheduled. Um, our agenda next item though, I would like to present and or have a discussion of, and that is the topic of um, the resolution to improve transparency of city, uh, the city of Ann Arbor performance. 
Um, and I hope that you all have had a chance to look at the resolution that's in our packet. Um, and I would ask if, John, would you like, John Mursky, would you like to uh, leave with some comments of yours? Um, that'd be great. So briefly, uh, what happened after the last meeting is uh, Council Member Dish uh, spoke with Administrator Dahoney uh, and indicated uh, to me then that um, he'd uh, be willing to uh, further engage with me on the topic. Um, we had um, an email exchange. I can read some of the detailed comments, uh, but summarizing them, he indicated, and by the way, um, Rita, Steve, uh, Councilmember Griswold, and Councilmember Dish were copied on, on these exchanges, um, so they've seen them. Um, he indicated that, uh, that he sees that this resolution would strengthen the organization. He indicated that it's not one of his current top priorities. He mentioned um, hiring and onboarding key new staff members, um, implementing uh, performance reviews, um, and, uh, I then responded to him and, um, indicated that the dates, um, in terms of actions in the resolution, uh, are the end of the first quarter of next year, um, which is basically just linking existing information to the existing performance measures webpage, and then updating that webpage, um, for the remainder of the year. So that by the end of the year, um, things like format um, is improved, um, that chart that um, data is trended, that um, goals are also included and things like that, which is not currently um, available on the, uh, on the measures page. Um, and um, the last response that I got from him today, um, just second, let me pull it up and read it. Um, he indicated, he said, thanks for your feedback, John. I understand the process you are following and we'll look forward to the discussion once it reaches city council. Um, so, um, the other thing is, um, Reed and Steve, I don't know if you want to talk about your thoughts on this, but, um, both of you have agreed to co-sponsor it. And so maybe I'll turn it over to you and I'd be willing to comment anymore, answer any questions, but maybe the two of you have something to say. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah. I just want to remind everybody that we had a reading of this resolution, um, once at our September meeting and, uh, we had some discussion, um, so I'd like to advance this to a vote during this meeting. Um, so, and John, John outlined a little bit about the background here. Um, and so he, in the city administrator, Mr. Dahoney has not pushed back on any of these dates that are in the resolution. And when, uh, which is the end of March, the end of the first quarter next year and the end of next year. So, um, so there's quite a bit of time to accomplish these. And so I think, I think it's important that we send this message to the city administrator and to city council as a sense of uh, what we feel collectively as a reflection of the community. So that's all I wanted to say at this point. And uh, um, we should open the floor for discussion. But could I just say something first, just for, for framing as well? Yeah. I, I see this as, something that actually can support our success in the city that that it will strengthen almost any project that the city works on to have the kind of goals that are discussed 
Um, and I think from my perspective, it would be something that should be um, motivating for staff to accomplish goals and, and to show progress or to redirect as needed, given whatever circumstances may come forward. And certainly I, I think of it as a, a positive kind of measure. That's it. Thank you. Uh, Kathy. I'd like to be listed as a co-sponsor. Um, <clears throat> I've had previous corporate experience where we used metrics, uh, extensive training and quality uh, improvement, continuous quality improvement. I've seen the benefit of this. And I think it's very important that we sell it in a way that encompasses many of the information requests that are being made right now. Uh, usually when someone asks for some data or information, they're not thinking about performance uh, measures. They're not talking about metrics. And so we've, we've got to make sure that, that it's integral to what people are thinking about. For example, today, the chair of the Transportation Commission requested um, some crash data, pedestrian crash data. And that data is actually included in the city administrator's monthly newsletter. So we get it monthly. Uh, I requested it probably a year ago, but there's no automated way to produce it. So it's very labor intensive for, for staff to use other reports like the UD10 crash data. And in order to prepare this, um, and so let's see what I'm, I'm, I'm sort of tired this evening, but I just want us to be knowledgeable and sensitive to the fact that some of the resistance is not that people don't want to do it. It's because we don't have the systems in place to produce this data. And it's just, it's amazing in this day and age that you've got to have someone look at a bunch of pieces of paper or screens and then transfer it somewhere else. Uh, but that's actually what's happening. And so, again, I'm 100% behind it. I've seen the value of it. But some of the resistance is not because people don't want to. It's just very, very hard. So, and again, I'd love to be a co-sponsor. Sounds good to me. Uh, um, Ann Marsden. Uh Yeah. To follow on uh, Councilmember Griswold's comments there, that was my one of my questions here is that, are we aware of at this point in time, if the city has the technology that's um, that facilitates uh, publishing, I mean, both collating um, KPIs from various organizations within the city, within the city, uh, different departments, and then um, packaging them in such a way that they're um, easily published to a website. I, I come from the tech sector, so I know how challenging and um, how many different types of software packages are out there and how costly some of these software systems are. And so um, if the if the city does not currently have the, uh, a system that facilitates this, um, that will have to also be taken into account and budgeted for. Um, I, I also I, I want to also say that I I am behind this uh, this effort, and I think the the, the reworded um, resolution is certainly an improvement. Um, but uh, a couple of things that um, 
occurred to me in reading the what, what we have before us right now. Um, in the third whereas clause, um, it, it, it reads as though we're equating goals with KPIs when it says that, you know, pol uh, uh, policy objectives are um, best expressed in terms of SMART goals, also known as key performance indicators. And I think KPIs are not the same thing as the goals that they support. I think the, the work that we're asking the city government to do here is taking our policy objectives and our strategic goals and translating those into KPIs that we can then publish and make available to everyone. And I think that's important. That distinction is, is important to make and should be reflected in the wording here. Um, and then also just in that clause uh, where we say that policy objectives are, are best expressed in terms of SMART goals, I think this is a debatable statement. I, I, I almost wonder if the use of SMART goals, I mean, maybe just, you know, right now the city government thinks in terms of policy objectives and strategic goals, um, you know, how they're phrased, how they're, how they're constructed, like that's maybe more of an implementation detail that's best left to the, the, the organizations that are tasked with taking what city council delivers to the city government and, um, and turn that into key performance indicators. Um, I, I feel like, I, I personally feel like that would make for a stronger resolution. Mm -hmm. um, John Callowart. Yeah, thank you. Um, support the, the kind of objective here of having more kind of like SMART goals and key performance indicators. I have just a lot of uncertainty though with some of the timelines based on what we've been doing with uh, circular economy and trying to get to specific uh, metrics with that and a timeline and also kind of seeing just a little bit of what the OSI is trying to do around the sustainability dashboard. It's it's really complicated work. Yes, to, to be moving towards it, but I really question of how this could be done in a year um, and, and the kind of work that needs to be done to go through everything and identify it and figure out a, a platform that would support all of this. Um, the, the timeline just doesn't, I, I don't know how that can be done. Thank you. Um, John Mursky. It, it, just to respond to some of the comments. First of all, one of the reasons, uh, well, first of all, I recognize that the dates that are in the current resolution will likely be discussed further between council members and city leadership and potentially be changed. Um, one of the reasons why the dates are as they are, and one of the reasons why I think it's important to act on this resolution now, um, maybe even with some of the imperfect language, is what this does is um, it identifies the desire in the community, hopefully, hopefully it's supported also by council members, um, that this is needed. Um, it would be then approved prior to uh, the December uh, meeting that council has every year when it's talking about priorities that feed into the budgeting process. So if, if indeed um, 
resources are needed for this. And, you know, it can be any number of different resources, whether it's staff, whether it's consulting, whether it's um, IT platforms that can be included in the budget. The budget then would be approved by May of next year. And that then provides the resources necessary to meet the target that is currently set at the end of next year. And frankly, I would be fine that I'm just speaking for myself if that was pushed out another half a year or whatever it is, but that at least there is a time bound expectation that something is done in terms of providing transparency on performance. So I just wanted to, to respond to that. Um, as far as the language and KPIs, metrics, smart goals, these are often used interchangeably, perhaps incorrectly so. Um, but what I'll, I'll give you just a couple of examples of what I would call key outputs that are impossible right now to really find on the city website. Um, that was, as was mentioned by council member Griswold, it's impossible, at least I can't find any public safety data. Um, I went to the police site today, the police department, I went to the performance metrics um, site. The data that's posted there is 2018. It's one year of data. So I can't compare that to the prior year, to goals that had been set. Um, another, for example, is progress against affordable housing um, targets. So in council in 2015, set a goal of, I think it was creating 2,800 new affordable housing units. Um, there's no place to go to to see what the status is on that. Um, I also looked for diversion rate uh, statistics. You can't find those. You know, these things are really just fundamental to citizens' interactions with city government. And um, when I said when I say a smart goal, um, I think everybody knows the acronym. You know, it's it's a goal that is specific, that is measurable, that is attainable, that is relevant, and that it is time bound. Um, so, you know, some of the things that I've talked about, um, and of, by the way, road condition is another one. The city city road uh, condition is has an objective measure. It's called a PASER rating. There are goals that have been set multiple times for achieving certain levels of uh, road quality. You cannot find anywhere on the city's website any kind of trending of are we making progress against that goal um, or what the goals are and, and things like that. So I just think these, these things are, are fundamental. And you know wh whether council then uh, sits together with the attorney's office and with the city administrator and changes out some of the terminology, to me, that's not really important. The specific due dates aren't all that important. I think it's important that it's uh, we, we communicate that this is important to us as commissioners, as residents, as council members, that this kind of data is really important to us, that we want to be able to see outcomes and we want to see progress against those outcomes. And if we're not making progress, then maybe it's a number of different things where the city administrator can go back and say, I don't have enough resources. Maybe city comes back to council and says, um, I have un unrealistic goals that are being set. And when, frankly, when progress is being made, that as someone else uh, mentioned earlier, that it can really be celebrated. So uh, those are just some thoughts that I had as uh, relevant to some of the um, comments that were made up until now. So thank you. 
Kathy Griswold. Um, yeah, I just want to say that a lot of work has been done and there's positive movement and recognition that this is needed. Uh, <clears throat> I'm aware of projects that were started by two former city administrators. Um, and it's not that they didn't have the knowledge and staff support. The, there wasn't the political will to implement this. And so I think it's very important moving forward that we have the support from our elected leaders. And I was talking to my replacement on city council and he had already had a discussion with some of the new incoming council members about the need for data. So I, I think that's really a positive. And um, so we're really building on the work that's already been done. Uh, we heard from Brian Steglitz tonight. He's, he thinks that way. He's done some of that work already, but we haven't had sort of the systems to, uh, to publicize it and the ability to, to put it out there on a dashboard the way it should, should be. Um, so I would like to have this resolution passed tonight, while at the same time, if there are commissioners who have concerns, I would be willing to work with them and with, with John Mursky between now and the next council meeting, which isn't until Thursday the 10th, and offer a resolution at the meeting. But I, I just think we really need to move forward right now. It's it's critically needed. There's it's it's almost like we're we're moving in silos within the city of Ann Arbor. And as a result, we're not as effective and we don't recognize the excellence of some of our staff members because we don't have this information out there. Uh, I see Steve's hand up. Um, yeah, um, I agree. And I, I really appreciate the comments that Commissioner Morrison advanced. Um, but I think, um, I think that that's not, um, to me, that does not uh, present a problem with, um, with accepting it as it is, because I, I've seen the same variety of definitions in different contexts, but it's just important to put those three items in there somewhere, that there's policy objectives that are clear and well-expressed, um, they're uh, budgeted through SMART goals, and that the KPIs are, are agreed on. So, you know, they're, they're not all the same thing, of course, but um, they're all things that need to be thought of as pieces of the implementation of a real performance management program. And, um, and I think it, we have talked about this for many times, um, you know, for, for years, actually, um, this sort of thing has been um, a matter of conversation um, among council and the commission and the city staff. So I think just leaving the dates as they are is not is not is fine because um, I agree that of course the implementation will all depend on what budget is provided by and approved by council. So I'm very happy to just uh, pass this as it is to vote on it, yes as is, and um, and um, and see how it progresses 
through the true authorities, which is our elected representatives on council and the city staff. But I think this is an important thing that needs to be um, an important activity within the city government over the next year. And that the dates of achievement really depend on things that are out of our control. Um, I would also remind people that um, um, I'm sure there are certainly quite a few FOIA requests that are made regularly to obtain this information. And when the city's thinking about its budget, they should think about the amount of time that are spent by staff on uh, fulfilling FOIA requests. You know, they should all, they should think of that as a potential time saver. And I'm not talking about emails between city council. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about FOIA requests for this kind of information. So Steve, there are two more people with questions. So if you're, yep. sorry to, sorry to move done. along, but sorry, we're, we're moving in, into late time here. Um, um, council member Dish. Yeah, I really, really appreciate the work that has gone into this. And I think it's very much in the spirit of uh, support for what residents expect from a democratic and, and transparent government. And so I think that it's very much worth talking about. Um, it is a great idea. The feedback that I've gotten from the city administrator is that it just can't be a priority right now. And so um, I'm. I think it. I think that we probably want to make sure that we have. A, he also indicated that, in terms of a channel for bringing forward some this kind of a proposal, it's great to get the residents' feedback through the Environmental Commission and the Energy Commission, uh, and all of that. But um, I think, as as uh, Commissioner Calvert mentioned, creating the infrastructure for this kind of thing. Um, and budgeting for it is is that's quite a, a big deal, and I think that we would need to have a staff champion before um, I think it'd be appropriate for council to um, pass a resolution because a resolution is really saying we are making this a priority for you, and I think that it's really important to consider where the thing. I mean, there's this is important, and there are so many. <laughs> important things. And we, I think, do need to take some guidance and feedback from staff and the city administrator as to where this fits in the larger constellation of priorities that they have. And so um, I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, I, I'm supportive of utterly the principles that inform this, but I'm trying to be realistic about uh, the resources and budgeting and um you know, in just the months we've seen OSI go through interviewing different people who might be able to sustain a dashboard for them, it is a pretty involved process. I see another question or a hand up um, from Commissioner Graham. Um, I'm um, very much in favor of proceeding down this line, but and without commenting on further on that, uh, the Environmental Commission is really advisory to the council. We recommend things to the council, and yet the resolved clauses here sort of see us directing the administrator and stepping, I would say, a bit out of our bounds. 
I realize we have a couple of council members here and maybe they're, um, they have the sense of the rest of the council and we're okay doing that, but uh, I'm a little uncomfortable. Um, resolve the city administrator, city council will review based on advice, et cetera. I, I'm, we, um, we, we can't tell them what to do. We can only suggest and advise. John Mirsky. I just have a basic question, and that is, this has been with the city administrator since March. Um, we discussed this uh, a month ago. There were several email exchanges with him. Um, I haven't had any other proposed language changes or date changes from anyone. Um, as I indicated before, um, this this will not set city policy. As you know, as Commissioner Graham implies, this goes from us to council, and is then will be revised, as Councilmember Griswold said, between council members and the city administrator. Will probably be modified again when it comes actually to a discussion in front of council. Um, I think it's really important that this move forward so that it is considered in the budgeting process. So it is considered among other priorities and so that there are resources and there is a discussion about this um, in, in the broader context. Otherwise, if this doesn't get acted on now, um, it will move out another year. And I, I'd like to remind everyone what I said in the last meeting. The last meeting, I asked the city administrator in an email um, when when to bring this back up and he said to bring it back up this is in May in April he said to bring it up in September and I brought it forward in our October meeting and since then uh, we are where we are so what, what I would ask is that we move forward on this with the recognition that this will be revised and hopefully we can get to a point where everyone recognizes that this is fundamental to uh, any organization and how it operates, but, but particularly one that serves residents and taxpayers and provides services to all of us so that we have some idea of, are we actually meeting the key, the key objectives, policy objectives um, that, that we've all set together through our collective democratic processes. Thanks. Thanks, John. Anyone else? Sorry, John. I, I, this is the first time I've seen the resolution or even heard about it. So forgive me for not being up to speed. Um, nor am I objecting to going to going ahead with the resolution. I just the wording is a little forward to me as it as I see it for the first time. Uh, any other comments? Would we like to move to a vote or consider a vote? Um, would someone like to call the question? Okay, Steve Brown will call the question. And so- no, actually, uh, I don't think we have a motion on the floor yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Would someone like to move to approve? I, I move to consider having a vote on this resolution. Okay. Is there a second? A second. Okay. All right. So, all in favor of passing this resolution for transparency in city, um, raise your hand or say aye. And I'm gonna. Aye. 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 So would you all keep keep your hands up? Count nine. Um, are there any nays? Nay. Two nays. All right. Abstentions. Any abstentions? Thanks, Steve. I think that was everyone who was a voting member here. Um, so I declare this to be passed uh, with nine eyes, two nays, and ask that. Um, Councilmember Griswold, um, who agreed to join us in, in supporting it, uh, take it to the um, City Council for next uh, approach. And um, actually, I should ask John Mursky, do you need anything additional from the Environmental Commission in order to take it to the Energy Commission if you so choose? No. Okay. All right. And I just want to entertain any amendments before it goes before city council. Uh, and so feel free to reach out to me or, or I'm sure uh, Lisa would also be willing to talk to, to people about their concerns. Thank you all for this discussion. I think it, it raised some issues that, that I see as very important too. And, um, but I do feel that it will be a good thing for us. Um, so that um, leaves us at 920 with um, uh, a good, good meeting, I think, with everyone. And I appreciate it. Um, Steve, I want to ask your um, recommendations on the remainder of the meeting with um, reports out and um, items for next agenda, et cetera. Do you want to take over at this point? Um, yeah, I'm chair? willing to take. Yeah, I will take the chair back. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks, Rita. Thanks for doing this. And I'll try to get my uh, computer working better next time with the internet. So, um, so the next item on the agenda are reports from committees, other commissions, council, and chair. Um, so um, let's try to be brief. Um, let's start with um, with pollinators. Okay, back to me. Um, I've been working with um, the A2 Pollinator Network, including um, Commissioner Gruber, and we are moving forward with sort of an informal uh, program to leave the leaves in the fall, which is a voluntary approach uh, suggesting people not move their leaves into the formal compost, city compost, but leave them in their yards, at least their yards. Um, and so with the intent to preserve um, protection habitat for pollinators and um, to have them there for next year. Um, we will be preparing and, and we've been working with Sean with um, for which I really appreciate it uh, to prepare some materials more formally for next year. 
to address how we'll approach the seasonal changes. So um, stay tuned um, and watch for our next newsletter. We'll have more. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Rita. How about um, natural features? Um, I've been inactive, forgive me. This has been a year I, in business that I don't want to relive. <laughs> Please forgive me. Uh, it's okay. Back in the horse saddle uh, coming up shortly. Okay, Chris, thanks. Yeah, it's good to see you back. Um, so let's see, how about um, um, solid waste? We've already had a presentation. Um, is there anything that, um, um, that John, Commissioner Kellowert, or? Nope, uh, you heard from us plenty this evening. You heard everything. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, I believe we have. All right, thank you. Um, so let's see, in the water quality, um, we have not met, we have not met during the past month. So we'll have a report next month on water quality work group. Um, other commissioners, let's start with planning. Uh, I think I'm doing the report because we can't hear Shannon. So um, uh, the the we're working on um, eliminating parking minimums. Didn't we do that already, though? I thought but maybe I'm just yeah. I thought we did that. Um, we set maximum parking maximum with TC1, and we'll be looking at citywide parking maximums this year as well. But that's complicated, so we don't know how that's going to go. Um, we are moving on to, uh, we've, uh, council will be voting on the extension of the, uh, amending the map of TC1 or amending the city zoning map to extend TC1 to stadium. Um, and then we'll be moving on to the other two areas from there. Um, we're very excited that proposed UDC changes around solar energy system flexibility and electrification will be discussed at planning commission on November 15th. Um, others have suggested that we pursue simultaneously um, putting those requirements in the building code, but it is the opinion of um, our planning staff that that would not withstand a legal challenge while we have a better chance of doing that in the UDC. Um, and we, uh, I guess, the question has been raised about using um, using connect connection fees in a way to incentivize sustainable development. And I don't think that that has, uh, I don't think we've seen interest in that from the public services, but I think that that's an area to open a conversation with them because there is one of those places where if you can get interdepartmental cooperation that, you know, maybe that opens up. I don't know. Um, Shannon, what am I missing? I know there's, well, oh, I should be saying that the master plan is coming our way and it's going to be a huge amount of work for planning. And so we expect that to take quite a bit of time. Steve, I need your cues because I don't have the list of the next group. I think I'm probably up with energy. Thanks, John. So just briefly, uh, the 2021 greenhouse, uh, community-wide greenhouse uh, gas 
inventory has now been completed. It was presented in the last meeting. It's posted under the Energy Commission on Legistar. Just very briefly, um, emissions were up last year over 2021, which is, or over 2020, I should say, which is to be expected because of COVID's impact in 2020. Uh, they were still below 2019 levels, although last year we still had some COVID impacts. So it's really hard to compare um, year to year differences. Um, there were some drops which were significant um, related to electricity. U of M has uh, moved to some um, renewable um, supply and that um, had a discernible impact. There's also drops in um, a variety of um, in reductions in various building areas, which sort of also is probably related to uh, the pandemic. Um, and then um, finally, transportation is also down, which is also related to the pandemic. So I encourage you to, to look at that because um, it's really important. It'll be really interesting to see the inventory for 2022 and to compare that to 2019 because we're more or less in a normal year this year with the university running and the hospital and everything else. And the last time we had that was in 2019. Um, the other thing that I think is important is uh, the commission together with OSI has been working on implementing benchmarking and disclosure um, for essentially all building sectors. Um, one step was taken a couple of months ago when council implemented an ordinance for the commercial sector where there has to be disclosure and benchmarking. The Energy Commission voted on the next leg of that, which is for single family residences that at the time a property is to be marketed, a home energy audit would be uh, conducted according to a DOE process is called a home energy score. And uh, that would have to be divulged or um, in the MLS listing so that the buyer, just like when they buy a car, they know the miles per gallon. They also know something about the energy performance of the building. So a resolution in support of that passed and that's now with council to act on. The last leg of the three-legged stool will be a green rental housing program requiring um, certain levels of energy efficiency improvements in order to get um, certificate of rental or occupancy or whatever the right term is. Um, so we're basically um, halfway through the second or three quarters of the way through the second leg. And it looks to be like it'll be early next year um, that we'll get the green rental housing program um, out of uh, OSI and passed by the commission. Those are the two main actions that we acted on. Thanks. And by the way, this month, some of you may have been asked, uh, DTE is offering My Green Power um, to residents of Ann Arbor at the same rate. So renewable energy, 100% renewable energy for the same price as what you're getting your current uh, electricity. And they're making a presentation on that. And hopefully also there's a new program where they are promoting green gas, natural gas. And so we want to have them prevent, prevent excuse me, present both of those so that we better understand exactly what the offerings are and what their limitations are. So that'll be in the November meeting. Thanks.
Steve, you're muted. Sorry. Thank you, John. Uh, so, um, sir, uh, Parks and Advisory Commission. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, we just met this last week on the. Um, every five years, the Parks and Recreation, uh, the Parks Department puts together a pros plan, Parks and Recreation and Open Spaces Strategic Plan. Um, they have put one together this year. Um, they've just completed a draft of it, and it's going to be open for public comment starting in November, and I think it'll be open for several weeks. Um, so if you have opinions about it, um, it's a it's kind of a long document, but um, it should be available soon, and I hope you all have the opportunity to look at it. Um, and then one item that they brought to the parks brought to our attention um, is that there's going to be some uh, work done in Fuller Park. They're going to be um, two two things are happening there. Um, Fuller Park is adjacent to the Hellep, the University of Michigan's helipad, mm. and um, uh, they have been notified by the FAA, I believe. Um, that there's some trees that are that uh, pose a danger to the helipad. So um, there are some trees that are going to be removed near it. Um, but the University of Michigan has worked out a, an agreement with the Parks Department to compensate them for those trees, and the university will be performing the work. And then the other thing is that the uh, bridge, the Maiden Lane Bridge, is going to be um, rebuilt, I believe. Uh, there's going to be significant work done on it. And um, once again, Fuller Park is right, is the bridge goes through Fuller Park and um, the park will be used for some staging and there will be a little bit of disruption as a result of that. And that's all I have. All right. Thank you, Ann. Um, so let's see. I think that's uh, commissions, uh, council. Any um, extra council reports? from either Lisa or Kathy? Um, I just wanna say that uh, much of our work is becoming newsworthy in that Channel 7 ran two segments regarding the Gelman plume and yesterday WWJ 950 in Detroit had a segment on our deer management program in Ann Arbor. So that's all I know about, but it's for some reason Ann Arbor uh, seems to be of interest to the Detroit media market and uh, so far, they've they've all been accurate and informative, you know, segments. I shall try to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I muted myself. So, anything um, anything to add, Lisa? That you'd like to add? Um, okay, I don't hear Lisa. So um, let's move on to the chair or the chair. Sorry, I was shaking my head, but you can't see and I forgot that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So and um, so the next item here is the chair's report and I have nothing to report. Uh, I will I will report things in uh, December that are meaning on December uh, 1st. So um, the next item on our agenda is a report from staff. Sean? Yes, thank you. 
Um, I will just briefly go over a little bit of what um, we have done at OSI recently. Uh, the 10,000 Trees Initiative has now distributed over 3,500 trees following our uh, latest giveaway event. Uh, our A20 Ambassadors program is starting up with our fourth cohort uh, next week. They will be beginning their training. Um, we are, uh, the Community Action Network uh, was awarded $500,000 to support uh, decarbonization work in the Bryant neighborhood. Uh, our energy options analysis is underway uh, for the SEU and traditional municipalization um, and other potential strategies for um, full uh, renewable energy uh, use here in Ann Arbor. Uh, and then also uh, two weeks ago, we had a local food fest uh, at the farmer's market in uh, conjunction with Argus Farmstop um, to celebrate uh, local food. Uh, and we hope to make that an annual event. Uh, and then those are the updates that I have for now. Hey, great. Thank you so much, Sean. So um, next item on the agenda are items for the next agenda. So are there any items people would uh, like to see us discuss or uh, bring put on the agenda for December? Let's see, I can't see who's got their hand up. I guess uh, it's Sean. Sean has his hand up. Sean, you have your hand up. Uh, yes. Uh, so next meeting is our last meeting of this year. So I've been asked uh, to uh, have us discuss uh, the meeting calendar for 2023 uh, at our next meeting. Okay. Do you want to do that um, as new business or as part of your staff? Well, yeah, let's do it as new business. Sounds good. Thank you. Okay. Um, John Mursky has his hand up. Steve. Yeah. Okay. Oh, John, you have the floor. Yeah, real quickly. I was wondering if we're planning, and I got the impression from email that we were, um, another session related to solid waste where we'll look at what is the current diversion rate? Um, what is, how are we doing against the budget? What is the status of the um, solid waste um, reserve fund? What are the uses of the solid waste reserve fund? Some of these um, bigger questions. Um, beyond uh, some of the actions that the, the team is working on? What are some of the outcomes, in other words? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking maybe more for January. That's, that's what I thought. Okay. You know, you know, given, you know, given all of the end of the year activities that staff yeah, is required to do. And, um, and I should note that I have two, two notes for things for future meetings myself. And the one is the, uh, having Keith Sanders here to talk about the wastewater treatment plant. And um, you know, and uh, emissions, you know, from uh, from this, you know, from untreated sewage uh, from a wastewater treatment plant. And then another one is, uh, you know, and then also the solid waste fund, uh, which would be in January, which I would project for January. Uh, so I'm only thinking about December. Uh, so I've just heard from Sean on that. So um, Steve. Didn't we in years past use December as sort of a planning meeting or, you know, kind of a discussion for like setting priorities for yeah. ourselves? Yeah. Um, so that's not a real specific kind of thing to say, but we certainly could encourage our membership to identify issues that we would discuss and, and set priorities. And maybe they could dovetail with the calendar. Yeah. No, thank you, Rita. That's a great suggestion. So we'll have that on, as an agenda item, as a year-end review and some goals for next year. Okay. Um, um, any other suggestions for December? Nope, I don't hear or see anything. So uh, 
How about the next scheduled meeting is going to be December 1st, the first Thursday of, Jan of uh, December, which as usual will be our combined um, in a November and December meeting, given the holiday season. So, um, and um, so this, uh, the next item on the agenda is the second public comment period. So this is another opportunity for persons to speak for up to three minutes. So please call 1-888-788-0099 and enter meeting ID number 925-8215-8705. So this information is also displayed on the meeting agenda and video feed. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand one by one using the last three digits of your phone number. In order to electronically raise your hand to indicate your desire to speak, please press star nine on your phone. You will hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. When speaking, please move to a quiet area and mute any television or background sounds so that we may hear you clearly. Please state your name and address at the beginning of your comments and be patient. There can be a 30 second delay before a connection is established. So let's see, Sean, do, do we have anybody online yet? We do not have anyone on the line. Okay, okay. so let's wait another 30 seconds. Um, and the next item is adjournment. Um, let's see. Okay, is there anybody on the line now? There is not. Okay, well, this ends the uh, second period of public commentary for this meeting. And so I declare this meeting adjourned at 9.40 p.m. Thanks for your patience, everybody. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Good night.